Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and we're back with another bottle episode. We've got Christine Parker, who is our GIS and data visualization person. Welcome back. Hello. And we have Sean Gonsalves, who is the editor, writer, communications team lead, and general guy who does things when we need to put something new in someone's title. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how's it going? It's, it's we're we're coming to the end of 2022, and I think I saw you say you, you weren't ready for the year to end, and I'm not sure I am either. But here we are. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's over. <laughs> but I'm ready for New Year to begin. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, we're going to talk about FCC map challenges and some stuff around the affordable connectivity plan that has uh, confused us internally. And uh, we've found that when we get confused, other people are kind of interested what's going on. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, and we have Christine on because Christine is at the center of both of these things. Uh, Christine has just released a wonderful guide that includes videos and a PDF and I don't know probably other information too about how to do FCC fabric challenges um, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there who might not even know what that is so Christine why don't we start at the beginning and and tell us just generally what is going on with the FCC broadband map so um, for anyone that isn't familiar with the new map. Uh, the FCC uh, contracted a company called CostQuest to create essentially a nationwide uh, database of addresses um, and over a pretty short timeline. And within that timeline, they did what they could. And the result is that the what is being called the fabric, this uh, national database is not so great. Um, there are a lot of um, issues with it um, across the country. Um, and uh, to help resolve this problem, um, as well as um, any issues with uh, service that internet service providers are claiming in the map, um, customers or anyone really can actually challenge uh, mistaken information that they're finding in the map. So if a location is not present on their home or business, they can go in and submit a challenge or if any information about their location is incorrect. Um, now, they can challenge that. And now we're thinking about this as two separate things. At least I kind of categorize it that when I'm talking to people, because um, the first question is whether the FCC and CostQuest have correctly identified all of the places in the United States where we want to have broadband. So that would be like rural homes and businesses, uh, urban homes and businesses. Uh, but we're it's generally the records are more clear for urban. So the map is more accurate in urban areas. In rural areas, you know, we want to make sure that we have homes on the map, not sheds or, um, uh, I don't know, abandoned okay. outhouses. Um, I've just been listening to a lot of Revolutionary War here um, uh, history, and they, I keep hearing that one of the places that they wanted to um, they wanted to quarter the British troops was in outhouses, and I just still don't get that. So outhouses are at the top of my brain, <laughs> but um, <laughs> buildings in rural areas um, that should have broadband delivered to them, uh, high quality internet access. That's what we want to make sure on the map. And a lot of areas, uh, there's, I mean, in uh, in Vermont, there might be as as many as 22% of rural locations might be missing from the map and so that's a fabric challenge like do they correctly have the address 
And the other thing is, if they have the address, do they correctly describe the internet access options that are available there? And that's the second type of challenge. Um, it is an important one, although I feel like it is a higher mountain to climb uh, to actually have that challenge successful. So I feel like we're encouraging people to really focus on that fabric challenge to make sure the sheer number of locations is, is correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, coming up January 13th is the deadline for any both of these types of challenges. And after that, um, what is in this um, corrected map, it will be directing the bead allocations come June. So um, it's really important to get for each state, get get the missing locations um, added to the map as quickly as possible. So, Sean, are you going to use your vacation time here between uh, Christmas and New Year's to rigorously go through Cape Cod to try and figure out if they have all the locations correct as your board duty on the uh, uh, <laughs> Open Cape? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'd like to spend some time fooling around with it. Um, no, you wouldn't. You could be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I am going to check around a, a, on, on a few places, and um, I have encouraged uh, Open Cape to, to join me in that effort. Um, you know, and I've, I still have some questions too that we can maybe get to, but, um, okay, well, let's start with having Christine describe, uh, just briefly, what are the resources you've made available, uh, to try and help people understand how to do this? Well, uh, the first is, uh, a PDF document that is designed to be a sort of click, click through resource. Um, so the, the first page is kind of, uh, if you're a consumer versus if you're um I think government I mean if you're a, a citizen activist. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you might also be a consumer, but uh we're worried more if you're a producer, which is what most of us are on the internet. Go ahead. That's very true. That's a good point. Thank you. Um and the other kind of route you could go is if if you're a a third party entity, government tribe, um, that is more interested in the bulk challenge format. Um, and then there are a couple links for just going directly to the instructions. Like, you know, exactly what you need to challenge and, but you just need some guidance. And so, um, those are, so that's the, the kind of the initial layout. And then I, there are, there's a timeline in there for what happens after, um, submission for availability challenges. Um, there are some definitions in there in case, uh, the, the multitude of acronyms are not clear, um, it's a cool choose-your-own-adventure multimedia document, yes. though. And yes. and to be clear, the the if you're a local government, uh, a state government, a tribe, um, certain other entities that can do bulk challenges, um, then that would be useful for you, too. But I would think that most of the people we are trying to get this out to are probably individuals who have some knowledge about the area they're in or maybe an area their parents live in and they're just trying to help out by improving these maps, which... Um, you know, I have ranted enough. If people really want to see me ranting about how uh, awful it is that the FCC has put us in this position through more than a decade of refusing to do its job, I've done that on the Connect This show um, that uh, people would be welcome to check out. I feel like uh, I've ranted on that plenty. Um, but uh, there's a lot of fault to be had, and I think it's ridiculous that we are expecting people between Thanksgiving and New Year's to be fixing um, this uh, map that has uh, been done um, uh, and, and has a whole lot of other problems uh, involved with how the FCC went about this. But we're not going to get lost into that here, I think. 
<laughs> Unless that's one of the questions that Sean has. But Sean, what was your questions you had popping up? No, I've I've, I've got a couple. But one thing that we shouldn't just breeze over because it's obvious to to us and probably a lot of our listeners. But to the extent that these are you know individuals challenging, like we should we should state clearly why this is important. Like why why should why should we care that this map be accurate? Because we're completists and we just we just want to make sure that things are right <laughs> in the world. And that's we can't sleep when things aren't right in the world. Is that the only reason, Christine? Um, well, like I said before, the this map, um, after you know whatever shape it's in after January thirteenth, is going to be the version that is guiding the bead allocations for the infrastructure funds um, that will be allocated June thirtieth, I believe. Um, and so, you know, the states and communities that are able to take this on and submit challenges and get get this data corrected um, and do the best that job that they can before January 13th are going to be in a much better position to receive allocations um, from BEAD uh, next summer. Right. Because the way it works is that every state gets a hundred, every state starts with a hundred thousand dollars and then states get more based on the proportion of unserved uh, addresses, broadband serviceable locations, which means that in the case of Vermont, you know, if indeed they're correct, that 22% of rural addresses in Vermont were not concluded and Vermont fixes that. Uh, if Vermont had not fixed that, then they would be getting 22% less money potentially, uh, or at least some proportionately lower amount of money because they would be perceived to have fewer addresses. And so we'll often say, and I mean tongue somewhat in cheek, that you want to make sure that you fix missing addresses. If you find extra addresses, you may not want to spend as much time on that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You certainly don't want to engage in fraud. You don't want to put false data into the record. That would be, um, I, I would hope, punished, frankly, although the FCC has a real crap record of following up with people that lie to it, uh, unless they're, uh, especially if they're big companies. So, right. Um, but I still wouldn't engage in fraud. That's just my personal uh, merit, my personal morals, I guess. So, my two, my, my, good one. my, my sort of two overarching questions in speaking about states and challenging uh submitting vote challenges or whatever what's up with texas is one of my questions um because we as i understand it they are apparently not going to challenge uh what any is of up with texas <laughs> those texas is one of several states i just jumped in i don't know why i did that sean it's an unfortunate it. habit of mine Texas is one of several states that's that's basically like, nope, we're not going to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're not deep into the weeds on this, it looks kind of confusing. Why would states opt out of this? Right. And as Deanne points out, since when does Texas trust the federal government to do anything, to get anything? Right? Oh, this is not a matter of Texas trusting the federal government. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I've heard a little bit of. So I heard one theory, and that is that um, the more so, you know, every state is getting the hundred million and then beyond that. The, the number of locations they have will influence how much they get from the remaining allocations. And um, one explanation I heard was that when it comes down to it, you know, you're getting a fixed, uh, you have a fixed amount of money that you're receiving and per location that is only going to decrease the more locations you add to your total number of locations in your state. So the, the amount you have to spend per location connecting per location will decline overall. Right. So um, if you're going to add locations to the map, <clears throat> they better not have internet access if you're trying to game out the amount of money you get. 
Right. Yeah. That's, I don't know if I believe that that's how the numbers would work if you add a bunch of rural addresses in Texas. Um, I had thought, and, and this is a classic case of working it out live, um, but Christine, <laughs> do you understand what's going on with Lightbox and contractual obligations? Because my understanding, and this is like I've barely been following it because, you know, I've just been off, uh, I don't know, playing basketball every day rather than doing my job and not paying attention <laughs> to this. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I've been doing. Um, the uh, I think some of the states have a whole bunch of information about what's available and what's not available from a contract with Lightbox, and they are contractually prohibited from using that to improve the FCC maps, I believe. Is that, mm -hmm. am I understanding that correctly? I I haven't heard this officially, but I suspected it because I knew Texas just uh, signed a contract with Lightbox to create their state broadband map. So that would make sense. Um, I know Montana also that was the other was one working was with Lightbox. Yep. Um, I, I didn't know if they I hadn't heard if they were going to challenge or not yet, though. Which 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 begs the question of what's you know what's the point of having your own data or contracting with someone else to give you data if you're not going to use it to actually challenge the FCC data? Yeah, I mean, for anyone who is interested in this larger uh, larger philosophic question, I feel like this is one that Ezra Klein often tackles on his podcast regarding government and uh, how capable government is and whether we invest in government or private companies. Uh, you know, it's a hobby horse of mine. Often, uh, I feel like many state governments. Uh, rely on outside contractors and they don't build up their own capability to do important work. And then they lose the ability to have information in the public domain that is crucial to be in the public domain. And so if you're a government that needs this data and the only place you can get it is from companies that will insist on onerous conditions and how you can use that data, you're, you're kind of in a tough spot at that point. Uh, um, and I think we're in that spot in part because state governments and the federal government waited until freaking 2022 to try and figure out where everyone had broadband was something that we've been talking about for more than a decade. Um, so, I mean, like states could have been collecting this information before um, states still aren't collecting pricing information. They could do that. Uh, so, you know, this comes down to a lot of people not doing their job. Well, I think in, in, in government um, and, uh, and, and it also comes down to, I think people who are trying to maximize their wealth, and uh, wealth extraction from government uh, when they are, are able to do this kind of work. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at both of you, I don't think either one of us has any more to add on that, but it seems like those are some of the factors that are involved with why some states are not going to be uh, submitting a lot of challenges to correct the FCC maps. Yes. I'll also just say I think some states are just not prepared to do that. They don't mm -hmm. have the qualified people to be able to do that and um you know everybody's scrambling to hire those kind of people that are you know have ex expertise in mapping um, yeah so. and that was one of the recommendations that uh tamara holmes uh, dr tamara holmes um gave on the interview that we did i think in the previous uh, interview in this um in this feed on community broadband bits uh she's the director of uh of broadband for virginia and she had said that hiring gis expertise was one of the most important things that her office had done and and she highly recommends that Absolutely. don't get any ideas christine <laughs> Working no, for I do, I do awful. Have... I've done it. I would never do it again. Never. And especially if I had an amazing job at a place like ILSR. Right, right. <laughs> I do have a I, I do have one other burning question as it relates to the, one of the things that I really like about the videos that you created, Christine, is 
in it, you also talk about and the PDF as well as some of the things that count as uh, as uh, evidence of what you can submit. One of the things, though, that to me is glaringly missing, um, and and I sort of have an idea as to you know the problems with speed tests and what have you, but it boggles my mind that speed test data is something that is not ex uh, acceptable or or something that the FCC isn't using. And I to me. If broadband, to the extent that broadband is tied to the speed of the connection, I just don't understand how that that part of the equation just gets left out entirely. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's frustrating. And the way the FCC explained it in a like a meeting we had with the FCC task force was that this is a map of broadband availability, not broadband performance. <laughs> Um, and those are to. those are two Venn. Those are it's a Venn diagram with no overlap, apparently. <laughs> Correct. Um, and so yeah, so they in the challenge for of broadband availability, they in the there's a drop down menu, and they do have an option to submit. Uh, you know, it says my broadband speed does not match what is claimed to be available, or something like that, and that will only file a like a complaint essentially it is not going to be included as a formal challenge option um, meaning that the provider is not required to respond to that um, and likewise uh, with crowdsource data which i've heard a lot of people talk about um, this bulk crowdsource data where you can uh, collect a bunch of speed test data from a region or state um, and submit it to the fcc um, that is also not something that providers are required to respond to. So you can submit it and the FCC has it to be able to look at it. But um, as far as I know, there is no formal process set up to evaluate those data and how to handle them and decisions that they will make based on those data. So um, yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Now it's worth noting when you go to do a fabric location challenge or an availability challenge, you have the opportunity to provide evidence. And mm -hmm. I feel like some people find that intimidating. Uh, when I'm looking at this map and I'm like, well, I just know that my parents live here and that they're on the map. It doesn't show that as being an address. Uh, I can just put that in and it says, what's your evidence, right? Um, what do I have to do at that point, Christine? Um, so you do have to, if, if you don't have, uh, so you do provide a description of, of the situation, like maybe, you know, this is so-and-so's ad or my parents' address and they've lived here for so many years. But what is really going to speed up either of these challenges is including, you know, something maybe like a utility bill that includes your correct address and like a recent month. Um, one thing to note in the description section, you don't want to include any sort of sensitive private information because that currently is still displayed in the public map. So anybody can see it. So um, if I if I submit a challenge, there's different fields. And if in the field I put this is my name and social security number, that would be a bad idea. Correct. Do not do that. Absolutely not. <laughs> Where should I put my <laughs> nowhere? The answer is nowhere. Um, yes, nowhere. <laughs> but but are there places where one if you upload the utility bill, is that going to be visible to the general public? No, that that is not being um, made available in the map. No. 
Okay, so description is available to anyone who's checking because if I file a challenge, uh, it shows up on the map as as someone filed a challenge, and then mm -hmm. I can click on that, or Sean could click on that to see what details were in it. And some of the information I submitted is public, the description field, but other parts of it are not public. Right. Yeah, I believe the thinking on keeping that public was that if other people were interested in submitting a challenge there, they could see what had already been submitted and why. Um, but as we're learning, that's maybe not the best way. Yes. You know, I'll be curious if, um, if anyone had the ability to do a research project in the future of whether if you go into a very rural area, if there was a greater number of like vacation homes and homes that are uh, lived in for part of the year who are included in the map and who were fixed with challenges than people who are full-time residents. Uh, it would be an interesting project about the bias that these kinds of government programs have when they depend on um, people fixing the egregious errors of federal agencies that should be able to do a better job. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that they've essentially just put this on on all of us to to fix you know mm -hmm. and it's it's taking care of their job but also it's it's correcting a project a product that is you know still proprietary information of cost quest so uh and something that they will continue to sell yes it's frustrating it should be public data we should have had a better job about it. Um, let's move on to the affordable connectivity plan for a few minutes because we set up, um, I mean, in fact, Christine, you were instrumental in it along with Emma and others on our team, uh, the acp-dashboard.com. And uh, that is a dashboard for ACP. I'm just really trying to make sure people understand what that is and explaining it out there. Um, <laughs> the, um, um, and we've had a couple of interesting revisions. So, uh, Christine, do you want to walk through just briefly? Because we've talked about the dashboard before. Uh, and mm -hmm. obviously, I mean, it includes key data about what's happening with that affordable connectivity plan, the $30 a month um, subsidy to qualifying families. And uh, there's been some confusion about the data that is available publicly that we've been trying to work our way through. What's going on there? Yeah, so the um, data is made available uh, through USAC, which is, Chris, can you remind me? Universal of what Services that Administration Company, which is a private company that FCC works with to uh, do a lot of the overhead and administration work for the Universal Services Fund. Thank you. Um, so we get the, the data from USAC and it comes in a couple different formats um, and timestamps. So they're released at different times, which is frustrating as a data person. Um, we'd like to be have them all be of the same age, essentially. So we, we have data that's released per state and at the national level, and that's the total number of people enrolled in or subscribed to um, in the uh, in the ACP program, and um, this is the data set that we started using originally. And um, there's also a um, related zip code level data set. Um, however, we noticed in the zip code level data set, there's also a column of uh, claimed subscribers and. We originally decided not to use this data set because it was much more dated than the information we were, some other data sets that we were working from that they provide. You say um, dated. Which were, 
What does that mean? Meaning they were like uh, a month or two old, older than the other data sets. Um, Less time. So we were, yes, yeah. So we were trying to use the most recently released information um, to fuel this dashboard. And, and then we heard that, you know, maybe that the claimed uh, subscribers was actually the more accurate number to use and represented those um, represented the number of people that were ac actively using the program. And so money was going out the door with those numbers um, versus the others that we heard that maybe they, they were just enrolled, but not actively using the program. Um, so there wasn't necessarily money going out for each of those people. Right. Because and so I might have I might have gone through the process of signing up. I might have used it for a month or two, and then maybe I moved, or maybe I didn't like that service and I stopped taking it. But I was still technically enrolled, but I might not have been getting a subsidy for some number of months after that. And um, and this gets into this just different columns that might be describing different things, and it's not always clear for for people that are doing data when you're putting a spreadsheet together or a database. It helps to be very clear what each column each column is and and it wasn't necessarily the case here right exactly and um and so we we decided you know from talking with other folks that this made sense to use this claim subscriber so we revised our analysis um changed all the elements um uh in the dashboard what they were based on and did this full revision and then um we ended up hearing more information, you know, probably a couple of weeks later that it was actually the the original enrollment data that we were using was actually the the most likely most accurate information to be using. So we have since switched back to our original original format and uh, yeah, and we move on. So is it our understanding then that in that enrollment data um, that that is actually the number of people that are getting the benefit or are there some small number of people that are in the enrollment data that are not currently getting the benefit because they've changed addresses and maybe moved away from that provider or cut service from that provider? That is something that we honestly are not sure about because they just don't provide enough information about the data themselves. And that is something that we've all been asking for and emailing about, and no one is getting any sort of like solid answers about it. So we remain pretty frustrated. This is the history of dealing with USAC. I, Sean, I'll give, come back to you in a second. Like, I just want to note, like, you know, for years, there was very sparse information about E-Rate, a program that was spending billions of dollars a year on school contracts. And eventually audits did show that, for instance, AT&T was significantly overcharging some schools. It was some uh, company that or a, a, a newsroom that did an analysis of it. But like USAC never made the data easily available. And uh, it would have been super useful for schools to be able to see what other schools were paying and that sort of a thing and to actually do some work on this to make sure schools weren't getting ripped off. And okay. uh, and USAC just never made that easy. I feel like USAC has never seen uh, that it is within its um, uh, its interest to make things easy for the public or or researchers to be able to understand what's going on. USAC seems to be very focused on making things easy for the biggest companies uh, that use the money that flows through USAC. And that's always just been a, a frustration of mine. I know there's really good people who work there, but uh, but it just seems like it's never been focused on, um, on on good public information. Go ahead, Sean. Well, and I, I, what I was going to say is, isn't it also the case that part of the sort of the discrepancy between the, the enrolled and the claimed benefit 
um, is that different ISPs get reimbursed. You know, they they file for reimbursements at different intervals. So some ISPs may wait, say, six months. Others do it more regularly. I don't know. I, I feel like that is also part of the equation, probably. I I so I suspected that um, because I've heard that the especially for smaller ISPs that you know dedicating specific people to processing these claims and doing that each month is a real hassle. Um, so I, I've suspected um, that you know maybe they were just doing it every so often, so kind of like holding on to these and then submitting them in bulk. Um, but I have since also heard that that. Uh, to some folks that just doesn't make sense and this is from ISPs um, that you know it's it's a lot of work to keep track of all of these things and to make sure that your numbers are adding up and it wouldn't make sense necessarily to do it that way so um, yeah I'm not really sure yeah and this is something that we are trying to get a little bit more clarity on and if anyone out there has a sense of why uh, uh, particularly a larger ISP like uh, um, you know AT and T or a Comcast would wait a long time to get reimbursed. Uh, we're curious about it. I would have assumed, and I, I've said this internally, that that the bigger companies I would think would want the money as soon as possible because you know that's six months of significant amounts of money that they could have um, you know earning interest and being invested however they invest their reserves um, as opposed to letting the federal government <laughs> be getting that benefit. Um, and so you know you know for people who are out there running businesses, if you wait too long to invoice, you know you're losing money and the and so you know it just it does make sense to try to do that on a more regular basis I would think. Right. Oh, and also we shouldn't bury the lead too far for those who may this may um, fall between the cracks, which is that that what we're talking about here has is very it has is is very much related to when we think the funds will be exhausted, um, and mm -hmm. it turns out that they will be exhausted sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm already exhausted, Christine. When are the funds going to be exhausted to to our best estimate? Um, let's see. I I believe last we had we were looking at like November 2024. And that was based on our current enrollment uh a few weeks ago. It was at 41%. Mm -hmm. Um so at that at that level of enrollment, if it didn't increase anymore, it would be November 2024. Which we so, would expect it will be sooner than that cuz the FCC is now finally um after uh, years of comments from people that do this work in the digital inclusion field and working for digital equity, that there should be money for trying to promote this program. Crazy thought. And so uh, ideally, we will see a more significant enrollment rate as the money is available for organizations to promote ACP enrollment. So I would expect that, that, that it will be happening earlier in uh, 2024 rather than later in 2024. Um, if I wait, had to guess. Wait, wait, you mean that not every um, not everybody in America even knows this program exists? <laughs> no, it's shocking. <laughs> shocking. Uh, so with that, that's kind of where things are at with uh, with some of the, the mapping related stuff that we're doing and some of the data collection. I uh, want to thank both uh, Sean and Christine for hopping on at the last second. Thank you. Happy Love to be here. here. And we uh, hope that you all have a wonderful end of the year. Uh, I think we got to do a, uh, a roundup for the end of the year still. And uh, we will be doing that and having a, a podcast in that period between Christmas and New Year's likely. Uh, but we will uh, probably have um, you know some pretty cool stuff at the beginning of next year. So uh, looking forward to the new year. 
and I uh, hope that everyone has a very happy and safe uh, vacation. Hope you all get a yeah. vacation. <laughs> yes. I, still, I don't think so. I think we should petition that Sean loses his vacation just so he can work on that Cape Cod stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would, I would love nothing more than that. <laughs> all right. Have a good one, everyone. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Thanks for listening.